the Zone Coverage Podcast Network. Perk Epoch. Find out what he'll say. Perk Epoch. Sometimes he's aptly. Perk Epoch. Who's coming on today? Perk Epoch. Welcome to another episode of Perk It Pod. Today, we go big or go home. I love that phrase. Extreme sports used to be pretty isolated and niche. And is it niche or is it niche? I've always wondered. But over time, thanks to revolutionary sponsors like Red Bull and competitions like X Games, frankly, extreme sports are mainstream, bottom line. Names like Tony Hawk, Sean White, Travis Pastrana, Chloe Kim, these are household names. The sports themselves have become some of the most high profile of the Olympics. The 2020 games in Tokyo are skewing more extreme than any previous Olympic Games, adding surfing, skateboarding, even sport climbing to the menu. Which brings us to Random Ranks. On this list of random ranks, the top 11 extreme sports or sports that I view as extreme that I've actually taken part in with brief explanations. Number 11, skateboarding. Dropped into the bowl at third layer. Thank you very much. Fractured my elbow. Number 10, snowboarding. Who hasn't snowboarded? Except the only part I don't like about it is that that hop move you have to do when you're in the ski lift line. That's just obnoxious. Number nine, wake surfing. And I'm actually surprisingly good considering how gangly and tall I am. Number eight, surfing. I went to Pepperdine University in Malibu, California. Do the math. Of course I've surfed. Number seven, BMX racing. I've actually BMX raced with the number one BMX racer on the female side in the United States, Elise Post, Olympic medalist. Thank you very much. Uh, Number six, ski jumping. Not in winter. I did it in summer on synthetic grass, which is how they practice in the off season. And I went off a 44 meter hill and I didn't go off the 90 meter hill. Don't worry. I'm not that stupid, but ski jumping has, has been done by me. Although I refractured my elbow. I'm kidding. Number five, skydiving. Did it once, never will do it again. It was harrowing, it was awful, and I did it with a guy named Fast Eddie in Alabama. Number four, ice climbing. I did this somewhere, I think it was up by Marshall, Minnesota, um, with those big like steel crampons on your feet. It was actually really fun, it's weird though. Number three, crashed ice. Yes, I went down the hill in St. Paul, refractured my elbow. I'm kidding, again. Number two, slip and slide soccer. Not sure this one is sanctioned, uh, or widely thought of, but I, I've, I've taken part and it was like <laughs> one of the most fun things I've ever done in my life. And number one, I did this uh, with a bunch of little kids out in Lakeville and I'm calling it an extreme sport because they called it extreme. Extreme hopscotch. Thank you very much. That's number one. Of course, Minneapolis and St. Paul have become a bit of a hotbed for extreme sports. Red Bull has brought crashed ice, as I mentioned, to St. Paul. Flugtog. As well, I recently had a chance to be their MC on their Twitch stream of, of Flugtag out on the river, which was awesome. In Minneapolis, the Summer X Games have brought some of the world's best athletes to town as well for the last couple years. And speaking of X Games, one of the most decorated athletes to ever take part in X Games is snowmobiler Levi Lavalley. I originally had a chance to chat with Levi after he and Red Bull teamed up for an insane viral video in which Lavalley took his sled and basically just tore up the capital city, shredding some of the downtown St. Paul streets and iconic spots. That was the first time I got a chance to really chat with him. And if you haven't seen that video, by the way, I highly suggest it. Actually, this guy's got a bunch of videos that will kind of leave you with your jaw dropped. 
But here now, my chat with the man, Levi Lavalley, from his home in Longville, Minnesota, which is where he lives, via Skype. All right. Here he is, Levi Lavalley via Skype. I'm staring at you in the, at a monitor right now. It's it's an honor to have you. It really is. I just I, I I think you're you're amazing. At least you know the parts I know, which are pretty superficial. I don't really know you know you, but um, I I guess you know my first question is just more recently, how was X Games? X Games is good. You know the this was actually my the well. It's fun going to summer X Games simply because. Um, you, <laughs> I used to say, because I don't fear for my life or I don't worry about having to go to the hospital. So summer X games is always good. Winter X games, on the other hand, when you're going there and you're planning to do, you know, I remember the year we tried doing the, uh, the double backflip, you know, you go there and you're like, <clears throat> you're just thinking, man, I hope I, I hope I do what I know how to do without, you know, without something bad happening. Right. Summer and, is a lot I mean, more just risk. Of it. Summer's way more low key, right? Basically. Summer's you, way low key. You go in, like we're fortunate enough to have a couple meet and greets. We high five some people, take some pictures and you get to watch all these athletes that are going through that, that painful mental uh, battle of going, okay, I'm going to try something that's never been done. And I've only done it, you know, into the foam pit where, it's a little bit safer and you know the stress they're under and, and you you know at being there myself i just try to support them and just say hey man good luck get it if there's anything i can do to help you know we're here for you yeah but it, but do you love minneapolis having this thing i mean at least in the summer i, I I'm, I'm talking absolutely yeah it, it's awesome you know the thing that's great about having minneapolis uh, host X Games is one. It's a it's a beautiful city, but two at the new U.S. Bank Stadium, it works out really well for X Games because they're able to put uh, the majority of the events inside all in one place. And as far as the athletes go, you know they have all everything's kind of real real easy for them. It's okay. like you know you stay downtown. A lot of them, I saw them riding their skateboard, riding their bikes right to the event. Yeah. And they have, you know, all the athlete stuff, you go through the side. So it was really easy to get in um, and really easy to just kind of be there where in the past, I remember they had X Games out in L.A. and they would have half of the events at Home Depot Center, which was about a half hour from Staples Center where the other events oh, were. Oh, plus then and, you're dealing with traffic and it's a logistical nightmare out there, right? Yeah, it totally was. So it's been really nice kind of having it all in the same place. Do you and, get that you know, sense so. uh, as a Minnesotan when you're when you're talking to these guys uh, and, and women that, that are that are competing at these things that they're they're feeling Minnesota also? They're They're liking what's happening here? Absolutely. Everyone that's Everyone that I've talked to has really enjoyed it. You know, one of the other things that they really like is because they're able to have a lot of the events inside the stadium, you're not dealing with weather, which in freestyle, like the the people are the athletes I can relate the most to are the motocross guys mm -hmm. because they're jumping dirt bikes where we jump snowmobiles and such. But one of the biggest hurdles you have in freestyle is the wind. So when you have all those jumps, I mean, if you look at this year's moto um, moto quarter pipe. I mean, those guys, they were jumping to the upper deck in the stadium, right? I mean, yeah. so we're talking 50, 60 feet up in the air, maybe. Yeah. And if it was windy, you know, the landing has to be so steep to right. accommodate that kind of down that landing. 
if it was windy and it were to blow those guys two feet off course, that's a matter of landing on a downslope and landing down on the flat. So, I mean, those guys are like, you almost have to have that inside. Is there sort of a kindred sort of bond between X game athletes, say, uh, snowmobilers and freestyle skiers and skateboarders? I mean, whether it's winter or summer, is it just since you're all kind of doing this, not the same thing, but but you're you're competing in this sort of extreme style uh, is do you find there's a lot of bonds made? Absolutely. Yeah. I think the main thing is just simply because you, for the most part, everyone's kind of been on that same path of like trying to learn something new. First, it's like learning the tricks. So you're learning these tricks and it's like sometimes you struggle really bad with a certain trick. Other ones come easy, but you know the, that they've they've been through that struggle and that like trying to get through that whole process. But then you go into that next level of there's few people that have have been so passionate about something that they would like literally take the risks that they do in action yeah. sports. You know I mean? Yeah. When I did, I was talking about the double flip back in the day. Like I legitimately went there, you know, wholeheartedly ready to, you know, I, I had already accepted the consequences of like, I may not be here tomorrow. I don't know how this is going to go. And if it goes bad, it's lights out. And I'd accepted that, but I was so, I, I wanted to do it so bad. I wanted to accomplish that so bad that I was willing to risk it all. And that's like, when you talk to some of these other athletes, I mean, the gentleman, uh, Ricardo, that did the backflip body burial on a dirt bike. Yeah. I mean, my goodness, the guy's backflipping while he's spinning underneath it. And you're going like, yeah, things could go terribly wrong. Right. Right. And if, if something would have went wrong there, the bike landed on him. I mean, it would have, it would have been really bad. And to know that those guys are, are risking that much right. for that thing. It's like, there's few people that are, that are in that, that kind of commitment. And so there, there is, the world. yeah, I was going to say such a deep commitment and, and thus it kind of just forges this relatability between all you guys. Do do you, do you, uh, are you excited that some of these sports are starting to get looked at as as either possible Olympic sports or or even actual Olympic sports now? Absolutely, I think it's a great thing, you know, because the the thing that they're doing now, like early years of action sports, I think it was a little bit more like, hey, this is really fun, I'm good at it, and you go like that. And I mean, even <clears throat> you can really see when things change. And when, for instance, snowmobile freestyle, when I first started snowmobile freestyle, I was a, a racer and I had this racer mentality of like, you do anything and everything. If you get a, a you know, a half a second faster lap, you're going to do it. So I took that same mentality into uh, snowmobile freestyle and we had success the very first year. And it changed the way that all the other athletes went about it. They went from like, hey, this is fun. We're all getting together. We're doing our thing and we're having fun to like, all right, now we're training, we're practicing. Yeah. We, we got to have a foam pit. We, we have you sponsors. Know, all these different things. And that's what these, all these athletes are going. I mean, you, you start looking at the skateboarders, for instance. instance, uh, Leticia Bufante, the, the skater for Red Bull. I was at the Red Bull office here about a month ago. 
and she's in the in the Red Bull gym training with a guy, and he's going through. I mean, they're doing balance stuff, they're doing strength training, they're doing all these different things, and she's a skateboarder. Right. You know, the the last thing a person thinks about is training for skateboarding. Right. Right. You just like, oh, they just go burning around the around the city and and you know jumping off stairs and stuff. And these people are like, they're so dedicated and they're they're doing so much training to become better like every little bit counts and i think that's what's what's elevating all of these action sports to potential olympic sports and you're you're kind of coming at it from a different perspective because you're you're not and and forgive me but you're no longer the young buck in this game right i mean you're right, sort of, you've right. sort of you were you've sort of been there almost from the beginning, practically, at least the early stages, and, and have kind of seen uh, the past d- two decades of evolution of action sports, and especially X Games, how how have how has it changed? What is, other than that, other than those training pieces and nutrition and all these other things that come into play, but but how, how have you seen X Games and extreme sports and action sports evolve? over the last couple decades is it is it shockingly different nowadays than it was when you started back in the day oh most certainly yeah. it is so much different i mean just thinking about uh, i mean the early years i mean the people were literally just like enthusiasts that were like excited to be out skateboarding and whatnot and and you know there were the early legends like tony hawk and stuff who who you know maybe didn't even know he was taking it more seriously than the others and in just the way that he rode and practiced. But now, I mean, it is so, it is very much like, like any other sport where everyone is like focusing so heavily on it. And one of the things that you see nowadays, especially you start looking at uh skateboard and women's skateboarding, yep. like the, the, they're literally like, 11, 12, 13 year old girls that are out there best in the world, you know? And, and I mean, I think the, I think the, uh, the winner, I'm not, I'm not sure what her name was, but I want to say she was like 16, maybe 17, which is like, yeah, you know, it's just still action sports, which is, you know, pretty average, but the other girls were like literally like 11, 12, 13 year old girls. And what's happening, I think is people are um, similar to ball and stick sports is they're starting these kids out are starting so much younger and getting and serious with it at, at an early yeah, age. Very right? serious. I mean, because oh, this kinda, like 11, 12, I mean, that's the kind of stuff we see in gymnastics and figure skating where, where it's, where those sports and that's, that's kind of like when you start hitting your, your, your stride, you know, and, right. and that's, that's kind of crazy that it's, it's, it's skateboarding now too. Right? Yeah, I mean, it was, it was crazy. You know, I think the funniest thing that I heard was I was at, I was out in um, California for an event out there with, with Travis Pastrana yeah. and his wife, uh, Lindsay, she she's like an X Games medalist, gold medalist, phenomenal skateboarder. Um, but she like she kind of stepped away from it. They had children and she hasn't really been competing. Well, she went and competed in the world championship over and I can't recall where it was in in China or something like that. And, and and Travis was at the event and she had she was just competing and she sends a picture of her. She won the competition. Oh, my God. And it's, the person that finished second and third were the, the like 11 and 12 year old girls. <laughs> so, I mean, she's like, she it looked like, like, like if I showed up at the elementary, like football game and like just whooped up on all these kids, it's like a, an adult standing amongst these children and you go, 
really? Did you, did you sandbag that one a little bit? <laughs> and, mean, and, the, and the kids are looking at her like, oh, I hope you're proud of yourself, you know, or whatever. Yeah, you know, that's, what I, that's what I like thought when Travis showed me the picture. I went, it does, I mean, does that even count? Beat up on some little kids? That's funny. But then, then I watch X Games and they're legitimately, these right. are the best skateboarders in the world. Right. And you go, oh, wow. Like, I had no idea that, that that's how... Um, skateboarding has evolved, I guess, to like these younger kids are like phenomenal at it. How has, how has the money uh, changed the sports? Um, how has the, the money, the sponsorships, yeah. how, 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 how big of a deal it is, the revenue with the TV and all, all that. So how has that changed the complexion of these games? I mean, that's a, a big element too. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of that is why you see some of these younger, these younger kids that, um, are, so serious about it and the parents know that as well they go hey this legitimately is like your future yeah yeah i mean there i've heard stories of of parents building half pipes full half pipes in their backyard for their kids to skate on when they're kids so i mean and they're building their own personal skate parks in their backyard so then their kids just can skate whenever Mm -hmm. you don't have to you don't have to travel anywhere to practice. I mean, it's essentially like like if you were to build a basketball court or something in your backyard for your kid to shoot hoops. Right, exactly. But yeah, so it's like it, it, it's very – it was so different for me to hear that. Like, wow, you have like an X Games half pipe in your backyard and these kids are like eight years old. And you right. go, well, yeah, I suppose. I mean, I, you know, you hear the the ten thousand hour rule that to become a master at something, you got to put in ten thousand hours. And I've heard that that's even even more than that now. Um, but I mean, you think about it. If you start off when you're four or five years old skating, by the time you're ten years old, you're you're probably quite a ways into those ten thousand hours, especially if you're into it. What does ten thousand hours even equal? Like I don't even know. Like what is that? Like uh, is that that's more than a week, right? It's a long time. It's a long time. I'm not sure. I I haven't done the math to figure it out. But I was trying to figure it out. Like a a really good book that I enjoyed was called Outliers. And they were just talking about how um, the different things that kind of led to, uh, you know, where you are and why things happen the way they did. And so I kind of took a a look back and I was like, well, I've been riding four wheelers. My dad, my dad got a little four wheeler for me when I wasn't quite four years old. Is that when it started? And what's that? Is that when it started for you, Levi? Yeah. That was like kind of the, the start of, of all the riding and stuff. So I rode that little four wheeler and I absolutely loved it. I was like big into monster trucks. So I'm like jumping stuff, pretending I'm jumping cars. Did you come to the Metrodome to see the monster trucks and oh, all this? Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Awesome. I was definitely at the Metrodome. So how, where is Longville for those that don't know? So Longville is the easiest way to say is it's like three hours, three, three and a half hours north of Minneapolis. And it's like if you know uh, Minnesota, Duluth is another, you know, more popular city in, in Minnesota. And we are about two hours straight west of Duluth. OK, so I like to say we're the heart of Minnesota because like on the map, if Minnesota was a person, we're kind of right where the heart would be. Got it. But, but, but you've stayed there over all these years and, and, and all this world travel, all these you know, global jet setting to all these you know, high profile events. And, and yet you've kind of just you've put down your roots in Longville, right? You know, what's interesting about it is 
I've been able to live a few different places. I lived down in, um, I lived in Wausau, Wisconsin for when I was with, well, I'm still with Players Racing, but when I was racing, I lived out at the Players Racing has their shop and everything out in Wausau, Wisconsin. So I lived out there for six, six to eight months a year for probably four or five years. And Wausau is like, I don't know, maybe 50,000 people, 50 to 70,000. And, and then I moved to, uh, California. I lived in Victorville, California. I know where that is. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like in the high desert, super dry, super hot. And I trained out there with a MMA guy for a couple seasons and, you know, that was very busy. Doing very what, what busy. were you doing? MMA stuff. Like what was, is just like strength stuff or what? Or just. Yeah, just huh? the strength. I wasn't okay. doing, I wasn't getting beat up or trying <laughs> to beat anyone up by no means. But uh, I went out there, I actually went out there to ride dirt bikes with a friend that lived out there. Got it. And he, <clears throat> he said, you got to go to my buddy's gym and try this, try his workout out. And I'm like, yeah, for sure. You know, and it was my first year. It was after I had just turned pro in snowcross, and I remember I'm like, you know, at that point you're ready to do anything and everything to make it to the next level. So I, I said, yeah, I'll try it. So I went and did this workout, and I was throwing up in the bucket and all this stuff, like super gnarly workout. And I said, that's perfect. That's what I want. I want to be. I want to come out swinging next year. So I moved out there and and trained with uh, with this gentleman and. And we did it for two seasons, and the whole time I kind of was journaling what our workouts were, how we did it, how you know all that stuff. And then I found that you know I could duplicate that at my at my place. So I built a gym um, at my shop and started doing the workouts there instead. And this is back the, in Longville now, or yeah, okay, yeah. So then I then I was able to like do my workouts there, and then I had all my riding and dirt bikes and stuff for all there. So. So anyway, back to the original question was, <clears throat> excuse me, I moved out there. I've, I've lived in California, lived in Wausau, lived in Minnesota. And I, I just found that, you know, with my small town upbringing, I really enjoyed, I really enjoyed the kind of more laid back uh, area. It's like very kind of mellow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, everyone kind of gets along because it, it is the town's too small not to get along. So right. everyone's pretty polite, you know, like if you're not, if you're not getting along with someone like, um, you know, like it, you don't make it very far. Right. So I, um, I really enjoy that element of it and how laid back it is. And then what I found more so like trying when I was competing, um, I really found that it, it, there was, there wasn't the distraction, uh, that you would have in a, in a bigger area, you know, when you're in, the city, there's just so much stuff to do. Right. Like this, I can go there. I can, and, and even beyond that, you know, if you start getting into, um, you start getting into clubs and all that other stuff, there was just so many distractions where I, I was like, man, you know, this, like, this really allows me to focus my energy on, you know, on my goals. And, um, you know, with that, I built out my compound with every tool I needed from the foam pit to freestyle core with lights and you know snowmakers and groomers and you know we got everything we need to to be successful and that's you know it would have been a lot harder to do that in a in a larger area yeah no doubt and and so it went from the 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 four-wheeler 
into just getting on a snowmobile at some point and and probably just tearing up some trails up in northern Minnesota there and then and then when the when did the trick start coming into play <laughs> yeah i mean we we went through those steps it was it was four wheeler then the snowmobile with my family and then all of a sudden dad he says my dad goes hey there's a there's a race pretty close to here uh, do you want to try it? I was 12 years old. And he said, absolutely. So we went to the race and I, you know, I'm five foot six on a good day right now. So at 12 years old, I was like a little over four foot tall. Okay. The racer, the race director, we go to sign in and, and he looks at my dad and I, as you know, we go to sign up and he goes, can I help you? And my dad said, yeah, we're here to, we're here to race. We need to sign up. And the race director said, uh, we, as in you and who else, and my, my dad said, well, my son here, he goes, well, he's not big enough to race. And my dad said, uh, it's kind of like not being I tall enough to, it's not it's kind of like not being tall enough to go on the roller coaster. You're right. Oh, it's kind of, oh, I remember it clear as day, eighth grade. I couldn't even go on all the rides at belly fair. Oh, dude. And I was like, you gotta be kidding me, man. But uh, anyway, so I go and. My dad says, I tell you what, you go out on the track and and go as fast as you can and if leave and have Levi behind you. And if he isn't right on you or past you by the end of the first lap, we'll pack up and go home. And he said that? <laughs> yeah. Wow, awesome. And the race director said, All right, all right. Uh, we'll we'll create a waiver. We'll have him sign a little waiver and he can race this one time. So I went out there because all they had was adults. So I had to go with all the adults. Oh, so you're 12 going up against a bunch of grownups. Yeah. That's crazy. A bunch of everyone. And um, I went out there at 12 years old and we ended up finishing second. And the the race director came up after and he shook my hand and he said, he said, hey, you can race with us whenever you want. That's awesome. That's how our racing started. And then from there it was snowcross and we turned pro racing and then when i started doing freestyle wasn't until excuse me until 2008 at that point i was i was in the pro class in snowcross um i was winning races i was you know i I was top five rider and x games approached me and they said hey you know we've noticed you're always doing tricks and stuff off the finish line when you're racing we're coming out with this new event called speed and style and it's a combination of racing and, and tricks. And we think you'd be perfect for it. You know, if you could send us a video showing that you could do some tricks, we will, um, we'll let you know. And I I think you'd be, you could be entered in this new event and I'm like, Holy cow, that'd be awesome. So the, the difference is, is like, I was, I was one of the factory players racers. So it would kind of be like, what would it be like? It would be like if I don't, I don't want to say LeBron James. I just, he thought came to mind, but it'd be like if a professional basketball player, um, got an opportunity to, to, uh, maybe race cars or something. Okay. Or, or no, or, or yeah, like, or yeah, like LeBron James goes and gets invited to play in some trampoline dunk league or something like yeah, that or, or, or something like that somewhere there's like a higher risk of getting right, hurt right right so so i have to go to the race director then who is technically like my my boss will say i have to go to him and and say hey 
I would like to do this freestyle. I would like to do backflips on my snowmobile. Oh, dude. And, and, and I'm like thinking about it. And at the time, uh, his name was Tom Rager. And he was, we all looked at him as like the dad figure as, as far as the racers went. So I, I remember like going to him and I'm like, Tom, like they have this new event and it's like tricks and racing. And I think I would do really well at it. And you're a teenager and, at this point or what are you? So I would have been, I was, no, I was like early, early twenties. Okay. So I'm like early twenties. And <clears throat> so I go to him and, and I tell him this and he said, you know, I think, I think it would be good for you. I think you'd do really well. As long as there's no backflips or anything like that, I think you, I think it would be good. And in, in my mind, I'm like the whole time I'm <laughs> I, at that point, I hadn't flipped, but I already had like a date scheduled to go practice in a foam pit to learn how to flip. And I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, no backflips, no backflips, not at all. <laughs> and, uh, so then I go and I go practice in the foam pit. I learn how to do it in a foam pit. And then I, I have it all scheduled. It was I we literally went to our first race of the season, which is Duluth, Minnesota. It's like it's a big deal for snowcross racing. Yeah, we go to Duluth. I, I finished second in the pro class right so it was like top polaris racer out there did really well so then the race director is like you know they're always like all right cool we got to keep your keep the momentum going so the next week i started in on my freestyle practice trying to figure out how to do a backflip to snow and i remember i had i scheduled it with all of our crew i said sunday is flip day that's when i'm going to do the flip and I get a call on Friday, and it's a voicemail from Tom, and he said, Levi, I heard this dirty rumor that <laughs> – and I'm like, oh, man. You know, so then I feel like the kid that, you know, is busted, and uh, I go and I call him back, and I'm like, hey, Tom. <laughs> I'm like, hear me out. Hear me out on this. So I, I tell him, I'm like, you know – after thinking about it, I think for me to win gold, I'm gonna need to I'm gonna need to be able to do a backflip. I just like the people that are gonna be in it are, are gonna flip. So I just I, I'm gonna I'm gonna need that to be able to win. And he yeah. goes, Absolutely not. Oh shit. And I'm like, oh, man, I'm like, but but I I really think I can do it. And he goes, he paused for a little bit and he goes, Do you know how much trouble you, me, and Tim Bender, who is our our team manager you know how much trouble we get in if you get hurt and i'm like i know i know and i'm like but i really think i can do it and he he paused again and he goes if you have any doubt any doubt whatsoever just Bail. don't do it yeah and i'm like well, you kidding i'm like trying to do a backflip on a refrigerator essentially yeah there's a ton of doubt but that's <laughs> all there is is doubt <laughs> i'm like going yeah, you, no, no, no. I, I'm, I'm confident I can do this. Oh, dude. Oh, it was so brutal. So, anyway, so we go in. Sunday comes, and you know we we end up doing. I mean, that's a whole nother story. Like, well, I'm trying to prep this whole setup. I set the ramp down, and you know, I back then we didn't have astroturf. Now we put astroturf on your run in, so. You know, you, you don't make trenches in the snow and, and then you always stake the ramp down so it doesn't move. So back then I was new to this. I didn't know any of that stuff. So I have my ramp. I take the ramp. I move it off to the side and I take and blade it perfectly smooth. 
so that it's like hard packed snow. Yeah. I put the ramp back on and I wasn't thinking that, you know, by morning the snow is going to be froze. And I essentially just put a steel ramp on a sheet of ice is oh what I did. God. So come flip day, here I am. I'm like, I, I'm just going to be perfect. I come into it. I hit the ramp. I hit the ramp eight times. And uh, the eighth time is when I finally flipped it. So the, the gap from the ramp to the landing was 65 feet. And we measured it after I did the flip the next day. And it was at 58 feet. So it moved seven feet. It moved almost a foot per jump that I hit the ramp. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. Like I was just setting myself up for failure. But anyway, we ended up getting it around once. We did one backflip that day. I flipped it, and it was success. And, I mean, there was like three of us there. Was Rager there? Or was he no, just – he, he had no there. part of it. He didn't want to see no. it. No, he didn't want anything to do with it. <laughs> but the next day, I, I did three flips. I, I did one flip on Sunday, three flips on Monday, and five flips on Tuesday. And then we loaded up, and we went out to Montana uh, to the X Games qualifier, and I qualified for freestyle. Oh but I, I sent Tom the video of me flipping. and Beautiful. So yeah, be careful. Right, exactly. <laughs> and that's kind of uh, with with extreme athletes uh, like yourself. That's kind of the way all this works. Is that it's 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 progressions, right? It, you you learn a trick, you add a little twist here, you 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 ramp it up here, you try to do this, you try to do this, and it, and it just keeps getting. And how how scary is that is that scenario? Um, or or. And I don't want to like offend you, but like it, it just seems like you guys are wired differently. Do you know what I'm saying? Like it's just I don't because like the 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 average Joe or Josephine doesn't have that kind of chutzpah to pull something like that off. I get nervous when I'm like you know I stood on the I stood on the top of a ski jump hill, dude, in St. Paul at high uh, and and or the one over in Highland in Bloomington. Right, right. You stand up there and you're just like, oh my god. This would be instant death of, of, as, as soon as I take, like, like I think of ski jumpers. I think of the kind of stuff you're doing. Where does it go from like uh, confidence to just like just taking that leap of faith and just having the balls to do it? Yeah, there's I mean, in that I think that mark, it continues to move as you become more skilled. OK. Or as you become more experienced, yeah. it just starts to kind of change. And I mean, like, for instance, a really easy one is distance jumping. Yeah. Distance jumping for me, I can jump, um, <clears throat> I can jump up to, I would say 60 mile an hour, a 60 mile an hour jump, which is equivalent to about a hundred and hundred and say 50 to 175 feet you can jump that without batting an eye. It's like not a big deal. But as soon as wow. I get to like 70 mile an hour, then all of a sudden it starts getting like where I'm like, okay, this is like, it gets really serious fast. Wow. You're like, Oh my goodness, if this goes wrong or if I hit the ramp and it gets crooked and I, yep. you know, the landing starts getting narrow looking, you're like, wow, if I, if I come off a couple degrees left or right, I'm landing right on the edge of the landing. And if you go off of that, I mean, you're for surely crashing and then it's a 70 mile an hour ragdoll. So that's where that, like for me, that's where my level really goes from 
this is like I'm skilled to I'm a little bit risking it or you really start paying attention more and with with all these other athletes it's another really good example is in 2008 when I did freestyle for the first time at X Games my biggest trick was just a straight backflip and I only did it you know, I, I would did a few of them in practice and I did it at the end of my run or in the middle of my run, whatever it was. And I only did it once. And then by the time 2000, say 13 came around, everyone was doing their warm up jump, which is like prior to the event, we all get like a lap or two of warm up just to check the course. And everyone on their very first jump would just do a backflip. Because it was like, it was like just hitting the ramp like right. normal. Just like warming up. That's good. yeah, it was like warming up. So it was weird. Like in you know five years, it went from I'm scared to death to do this to that's my warm up. Yeah, it's like a layup in basketball, right? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's a layup. So. Oh my gosh, that's crazy. And then like, I, I, so the the next question that I have to ask is is uh, is you know worst injury, right? I, I know you had a pretty nasty one. Um, uh, no limits when you're training for that San Diego jump. Didn't, wasn't that pretty heinous or, or that, yeah, was, was, that, was that the it, worst one? So the, the craziest thing was that was by far the biggest crash I've ever had. And, you know, it was a hundred and I hit the ramp at 104.9 mile an hour on radar. And I got in the air and the slug cut out. So it went into like a, a lawn dart nose down and it was the sled was essentially straight up and down by the time it hit the ground. So I lunged myself over the handlebars, um, going forward. And I landed, I literally landed on my side. It would be like, like if you were going to slide into to second base head first, um, that's like essentially how I landed, except for I, I turned and landed on my, on my side and it, it busted all my ribs, collapsed both my lungs, fractured three vertebrae, uh, fractured my pelvis and, you know, it knocked me out obviously. And I had a really bad concussion. So it, it, for as bad as it, I, I'm just excited that I made it through that, that I live to tell you the story. So right. I, yeah. my body skipped over a hundred feet mm. from the first impact. So I hit and I was airborne again, just my body for over a hundred feet before it touched down the second time. And then I began to roll and until I come to a stop. And I remember, uh, I don't even remember this. I just saw a video of this and my wife telling me about it, but apparently like I was, I was knocked out cold. I was sitting there and then the ambulance came rushing up on me and I came back to, and I couldn't breathe because both my lungs were collapsed. So I'm like freaking out, oh my you know, God. like you do when you knock the wind out of yourself. So I'm freaking out, like, like, cause they're trying to put me on the bodyboard and get me all hooked up. And I'm like, I can't breathe. And so I'm wrestling around and they're like, stop moving. You might have a broken back, a broken neck. You know, we don't want something like that to happen. So eventually they pinned me down and, and, um, because I collapsed with my lungs, they had to put, uh, the chest tubes in through your rib cage to, to drain them out right away. So they put them in on both sides of my ribs and like uh, they're on the board, right? Like immediately yeah, right there on site. 
And because they said that it was it was over 30 minutes to get me from the practice site to the hospital. So they're doing like they're sticking. How are they sticking those tubes in you, though? They literally like they make slits in your. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. All right. right, right. Shove tubes in there. I mean, I'm sure there's more to it than, than what I just said. But essentially, that's what it sounds like. They just put them in there. So they did that. And they said had they if they wouldn't have done that. Like I probably wouldn't have made it. So, wow. so in the other part that was really, um, later I found out cause I collapsed my lung again <laughs> in a later time. But anyway, I, I, when I collapsed my lung, um, a few years later, they were giving me the whole rundown on collapsed lungs, the doctor and stuff. And, and I, I just, I stopped him and I said, hey, I, I've been through this before I collapsed them both at the same time years ago. And so then he asked me questions. He goes, so like, tell me that story. And I told him how, you know, they put him in, the paramedics yeah. did it. And he said, you're lucky because a lot of the paramedics don't know how to put the chest tubes in. Wow. And wow. if they wouldn't have, there's no way you would have made it. Wow. And I'm Do like, you, wow. So, so, so now here you are, what are you mid thirties? What are you like there? Yeah. 36. I think I turned 37 this year. Okay. I have to confirm that with my wife. So. <laughs> you think? No, but speaking of that, like you know, you, now you got a wife and and you, you got this, you know, great life in in Longville, Minnesota. You've 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 clearly got at least one kid who, who I just saw you. T- we took a break in the middle of the podcast <laughs> so you could give him a potty break. But like, so now that now that there is this family and and you know, the stakes kind of get higher, don't they? And and do you, do you, are you more measured uh, as to what you do? And and do you do you think twice about some of these things? things maybe sometimes now? Yeah, you, you definitely think, um, you think more about it. I think the, even prior to having kids, I think the thing that changed in me was, was the distance jump crash. When I had that distance jump crash, like, like it's almost, I don't know. It's like, I don't want to get the, the bad, I don't want to, I don't want people to get the wrong idea about, you know, me or my, what my thought process, but prior to that crash, I was so bound and determined to, to, you know, be one of those moments, one of those things where, you know, those world record jumps, those, those things that always stood out in my, my mind when I was a kid and you'd see your hero do those huge things. And I like wanted to be one of those moments and, and I was willing to sacrifice anything for it. Literally, literally anything and everything. And after I had that crash and I like, I left there looking at the situation and going, you, you just flew 360 feet through the air and jumped off your snowmobile and landed on your side. And you're still here. Like I took that as like, (laughs) you know, be grateful for, that you're here in, in like life is a lot more precious than, than I was taking, uh, than I was thinking in the past. Yeah. And, you know, so it really made me start maybe analyzing what I was doing and going, okay, yes, you could still do these things, but just make sure when you're doing them that you've done anything and everything to prepare and to make sure that they go according to plan. And that's what's, what really changed and, and then I, I was, um, I was a lot more cautious in doing the things, but I, I don't think I ever lost 
I don't ever think I lost the edge. Uh, confidence in my ability. Uh-huh. So I, I was still like, like you're still capable of doing anything. It's just don't skip any steps and make sure that everything, every I is dotted and every T is crossed when doing something big like that. Did you do it a year later then or no? One, one year later. That's awesome. Yeah. And then uh, uh, before we go, and I, I, there's so much more I'd love to talk to you about, but we're kind of getting short on time. The, uh, the Super Bowl jump. Super Bowl 52 awesome. here in Minneapolis uh, in front of just well, it was such an awesome crowd and such a, such a, it's just a vibrant kind of scene. Uh, doing that flip in front of those people that were just all in on it. How, oh. how cool was that moment and, and that stage? It was incredible. I mean, you know, the whole, the whole theme behind Super Bowl in, in Minneapolis was the bold north, right? And when we did that jump, I mean, snowmobiling, everyone thinks of snowmobiling when you're in Minnesota. But the other thing is you think cold, you think snow. And that day, it was snowing. And I mean, it was just absolutely Minnesota. And I just thought of it like as, you know, the little snow globe you shake yeah. up in your hand. Totally. Like, that's what it looked like. Yeah. It was like just this perfect picture of Minnesota in, in just something cool for the Super Bowl, And to see all those people, you know, after we did the jump, we landed, I ran to the top of the thing and I, I'm like looking out amongst that in, and I don't, I don't know what a rock star feels like, but for that moment I was standing up there and these people are like, I'm like pumping my arms. I'm like, yeah, like that. And they're like, screaming yeah. back at me yeah in their fist and i'm like i bet you that's where rockstar feels <laughs> that is incredible that was electric incredible that was electric so, yeah and 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 then finally like i've i've talked to some other red bull athletes um lindsey vaughn for oh, yeah. one can you just talk to me about how much they invest in you guys and how how great it is and how they've changed your life to a degree yeah they, they certainly have, you know, like I look at the opportunities that I've had throughout my career. And, and if you go back, I mean, it's almost uh, the majority of them are opportunities that came about from Red Bull um, assisting me in this whole thing. And I think the beauty of Red Bull is, you know, they they allow they allow these the individuals, the athletes to pursue their dream. And they say, how can we help you? You know, like the very first thing, I think the thing that changed, changed every, the way I looked at everything was when I started freestyle. And the very first thing I was like, I need to get a ramp to learn how to do tricks. So I called Red Bull and I said, I don't even know where I get a metal ramp or a plan to build it. And they go, we'll have one to you in a week and a half. And they have <laughs> one built and sent to <laughs> right. me. Of course. And, and that, I'm like, sweet you know, problem, problem solved there. Yeah. So I get the ramp. So that's how the whole freestyle thing. And, and I look at it and had, I, had that freestyle not happened, I would have never thought about double flip. I would have never thought about distance jump. I would have never thought about backflip at Super Bowl, run, you know, running around St. Paul for the urban snowmobile video, like all these things wouldn't have happened. I mean, urban snowmobile, and that's like a prime example I, I went to him with the idea. I was like, hey, wouldn't it be cool to like ride a snowmobile in a city and jump off buildings and bridges? And and I'm like, but I don't know where I would do that and how that is even possible. And they go, 
hey, we got a pretty good relationship with St. Paul. Let's ask him. Yeah. And I mean, that's how it started. Crash and then that whole thing came about from that. So, I mean, they're literally without Red Bull, those dreams of doing that, of doing distance jump, of doing these things would have never happened. So like you, you really, I mean, like for me, it's like, they've really changed so many people's lives and helped them achieve the dreams that they've had. And it's, it's incredible to, to be a part of a family like that. Well, Levi LaValle, thank you so much, man. Continued success. Uh, we hope that you continue to thrill us. We hope that you continue to give your kids potty breaks when they need them. <laughs> we hope that there's no more 70-mile-an-hour ragdoll moments, and uh, we hope that you keep drinking your Red Bull, man, because uh, <laughs> <laughs> just keep it going, dude. We're, Minnesota's super proud of you. Hey, man, I appreciate it. It's uh, It's been it's been a pretty awesome thing just to have all the support of Minnesota, even my small town of Longville. I mean, having the support, being able to do what we love. And that's, that's, I guess the motivator, uh, for me is, is to try to share that and say, Hey, you guys get out there and have fun. Enjoy what you're doing. There's a lot of people that, uh, that I don't think are pushing themselves as hard as they should. Perfect words to end on. Thank you so much, dude. We really appreciate the time. Yeah, no problem. And that wraps it up. Thank you so much for listening to Perk at Pod on zonecoverage.com. Be sure to follow them on all social media platforms. They're doing some amazing things here at this space. I'm telling you what, some really smart people up in this building for sure. And follow me on all social media platforms as well, if you will, uh, from Instagram to YouTube to Twitter, Facebook. You can usually find me at Perk at Play, one word. Perk Epa. Find out what he'll say. Perk Epa.